Before we get into the show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Long hours, small teams, uninspiring content. Marketing for a startup is hard work. Thankfully, HubSpot for Startups can help you grow your business without growing your stress. Their all-in-one platform connects all your teams together. Plus, they have a bunch of resources to help you scale, and they offer discounts up to 90% off. So if you're ready to crush your marketing, look no further than HubSpot for Startups. To see how much you can save, visit HubSpot.com startups. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Green, your show for marketing-minded people everywhere. I'm your co-host, Kip Bodner, CMO at HubSpot, joined by my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, who's the CMO over at Zapier. And today, we are telling you about the AI marketing strategies you have to get going today. AI might seem like it's in the future. It might seem like there's just buzz everywhere, but there are real practical, tactical marketing strategies that you and your team can get going on today that is going to transform the way that you do your marketing. And we're going to dive right in. But before we dive right in, here you shaved. I just have to call this out for the audience. I've oversubscribed myself. You do this as well, because I know you and I have a bad habit of doing this. And uh, I was like, where can I get some time back? And instead of getting time back in places that are sensible, like cut down on some of the things I'm doing work-wise across like all these different things, I was like, I know I could just not have to groom my beard. <laughs> and now I'm beardless. I have more time for calls with founders uh, and investing. So like if you have an AI startup, <laughs> come at me. All right, but Kieran, I have to show you something that's going to blow your mind before we go into the core topic of the day. This is something a candidate submitted to us. You ready for this? Power of Chatspot. Chatspot wrote this Tupac and Eminem hip hop jingle for our business. Imagine what it could do for yours. Yo, Slim Shady. What's good, Pop? <laughs> I just started using HubSpot for my business. It was so good, I just want to rap about it. Here we go. It's your boy Pop back with this dope new beat. Gonna talk about HubSpot. They never be beat. It's a platform so great, makes my family heart break. Marketing and sales, man, it's all in one place. Analytics on point. Data-driven decision with HubSpot by your side. The bomb, the dominate. Man, I bet you Tupac never knew he was going to end up in... <laughs> Songs for HubSpot. <laughs> I mean, come on. Cool. We, we, we talked about jingles on the show before. And the fact that you have somebody who's like interested in joining your team and they're making AI jingles. Yeah. This is the way right? to get hired. Show that you use the thing that you do the work. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. So <laughs> now that you and I have just indulged ourselves with the catch up, we're going to actually talk about today's show, which is all about your AI marketing strategy. And so Kieran, I've talked with a bunch of marketing leaders recently, and they all kind of have the same question, which is, hey, I know AI is important, but I, I don't really know wh- where to get started I don't know how to like manage this with my team. I don't know how to transform how my team is doing this stuff. Like, what are you guys doing? And so I thought the best thing we could do on today's show is basically answer that question for everybody. Are you getting that kind of same question from people? I think it's where to start. And has anyone seen anywhere where it's made a monumental difference? And I think the first one is easier to answer the second one because the second one, we are still in a very like iterate our way towards How does this technology actually fit into our go-to-market? I completely agree. But I I think part of what we can do here is help basically peel back the curtains for everybody watching and talk about how us as two marketing leaders at two scale businesses are trying to transform the marketing work we do with AI. Before we even talk about what we're doing, Karen, I saw a great tweet that was shared by Bill Gurley. 
And he was at some like, you know, exclusive tech event that you never know anything about. Nobody's allowed to go to kind of thing. But the Zillow founder was there and he was talking that Zillow has two teams. They have a red team and they have a blue team. And the red team is focused on using AI inside out. So like that means solving their core like business yeah. challenges, like how you could better automate this thing, all that kind of stuff. And the blue team is focused on using AI outside in. So thinking about yeah. the customer's perspective, what is going to make the customer's life drastically better, drastically easier? And I thought that was a very nice and simple framework for anybody to adopt. A lot of the stuff I hear about in AI and AI for marketing, it's the inside out. It's like, oh, well, we're going to do better conversion rate and that kind of stuff, which is great. But it's equally valuable if you think about it outside in and you think about what is going to create the most value for my customers. Yeah, I think one of the other ways to think through that is like, how do I AI-ify the things I'm doing? And then how do I disrupt what I'm doing? Because I can now do things yes. that were potentially not possible before. Where, you know, so you have like one bucket, which is just I can make things infinitely better because I can AI-ify them in some way. And then I can actually do all these new things, which actually may disrupt that other stuff over the medium to long term because AI has made stuff possible that was not possible before. I have a take that I want to see if you agree with me on, Kieran. Part of marketing is deciding the beta of a given strategy. And beta is like the room for failure. You know, if it's high beta, it means that there's a wide variety of outcomes that could happen. It could go great, could go terrible, could be somewhere in the middle, right? And I'd argue for AI in your marketing right now, you want to go something that has a tighter beta window. You want to go for some things that you are pretty certain are going to have some type of impact so that you can post some wins on the board to help people understand, oh, this is tangible, this really does work, versus spending a lot of time and effort on something that fails and then disenfranchising your leadership team or your marketing team, what have you. Do you agree with me on that point? So I think there's something really important that we should speak to real quick before we get into the tactics, which is related to that. Yeah. One of the things that is a momentum driver for marketing isn't just in the, how do we make the marketing strategy and go to market better? with AI and how do we make things better for the customer? It's the time to execution is going to be so much higher. So let me give you an example. Let's imagine a world without AI. And so the marketer is sitting there. And so one of the things I've seen since I've been in Zapier is like, there's a lot of like cool things you could do with freemium lightweight tools, right? Yeah. They're not like core product, but they're like cool tools you could use to get signups. And then you could try to get those signups into the product. Now, in a day's gone past, you would have the marketer come up with that idea and they would be like, okay, well, now I have to wait in line to try to get resources from engineering to actually make my Chrome extension. And so your time to actually get in anything done is so much longer. And so your time to learn what works and what doesn't is so much longer that it becomes really hard to like have any kind of meaningful pipeline of freemium tools or things that require you to build things. Now you actually can have a marketer go, wow, I'm going to build a Chrome extension to this one cool thing because I can generate signups and I believe I can get those signups into the product. I'll just go build it on Replit, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. I think we're going to start to see much more value being given away by marketers for audience because they can create so much more value in such a quicker time frame. And so I don't know if that's like related to what you were saying, but like, I think that you can be much more self-sufficient in doing that. Yeah, it's picking things that you know are going to have a high likelihood to succeed because there's less risk. And what that normally means, it's taking something you already know that works and trying to do it better with AI uh, versus here. doing some net new thing with AI. So that, that's one. And then you are doing my second point for me, which is basically like the thing that then matters is the time 
to getting it in, in the public and getting the feedback loop and iteration on it. And you're making the case that, wow, AI makes it easier than ever before to basically get lightweight kind of prototype stuff out there to see if it is valuable in the world. And you don't have to wait in this long, long line of developers. And I think that is true. I think it is not fully true yet. I think you still have to be pretty technical to like go and build a lightweight web app with GPT-4 and Replit and all these things. But I think it's going to, over the next six to 12 months, change dramatically. And we're going to see a lot more marketers shipping AI-driven code, right? Right, where AI is really helping them, leading them on the code, and they're testing ideas and hypotheses from there. So your point is, yeah, historically, you would look at things and you would say, what is the potential for impact? What is the historical context I have to know if this is going to have impact? And then what is my risk? And I look at those three things and I decide I want to have the most impact with the most historical context because I have the highest degree of confidence with the less risk. The thing that AI may change is the relationship between historical context and risk. Because today, if I want to do something which is like meaningfully impactful for my business, but I have less historical context about it, and it requires me to do something like build a lightweight app, so it's inherently risky because the amount of resources I need to do that thing is quite high. It changes the relationship between those things because now actually the risk is much lower because my minimal viable version of this thing is one marketer doing it through AI, Replit, whatever it may be, like doing it through these tools to actually build the app. And so I've de-risked it in some way. And so actually you can move a lot more of our work into things where we have less historical context, but the risk has gone down much more because it's so much easier for us to produce these new things. And then the problem today is like the things that you really want to do where you have no historical context, you usually always need engineers. You usually always need like additional resources to do them. Oh yeah, the resourcing necessary to do some of the new AI work is much lower than before. So uh, there are a couple of things we're telling you to start just a strategic perspective in your marketing. The first is that you want to take a known strategy and AIify it because it's going to give you a more predictable outcome. The second thing we're saying is that the cost to AIify it is actually much lower than the cost was to originally build that thing when you did it 6, 12, 18 months ago. Right. The cost and speed around that is much different. That being said, Kieran, what still matters is that you will still have, because AI opens up a kind of endless possibilities in terms of things that you could try to do, you still have to focus and pick a subset of things. Yeah. You might be able to do more, but you're going to have to have a focus list still. So I thought we would talk with everybody now around how we would think about prioritizing. And there's different ways you can do it. You can do a bottoms-up model or a tops-down model. When you and I talked off-air for a second, it seems like I'm doing a tops-down model, you're doing a bottoms-up model. And you want to kind of debate those two? Yeah, I think there's merits in both. I actually think you can have some degree of both. And so do you want to start on the top-down and what we mean by top-down and bottoms-up? Yeah, so let me define this for everybody. When we say top-down, that we mean that the leadership of a team is kind of driving and trying to basically be the driving force of a transformation. Bottoms up means it's kind of democratized, it's left up to individual people and individuals' teams to try and bubble up the best discoveries that they found, right? And I completely agree with Kieran that both have a ton of merit. I think it depends on largely situational, like how big your team is, what the culture of that team is, how technical that team is, et cetera. And I can start as I am on the tops down method. And the reason I was on tops down, Kieran, is because we have a bigger team. And once you get to a certain level of scale, bottoms up just becomes completely unruly, right? You have too many people doing too many things. And it's just, there's no clarity on what is actual like signal important things versus noise and and kind of clutter. So that's one. 
The other reason, ultimately the reason I decided to do top-down, Kieran, was because I do believe you still have to have foundational technology in place. For example, I'm going to give you a very simple example, right? So if you use ChatGPT, for example, and you're paying the 20 bucks a month for ChatGPT Pro, anything you put in there goes into the OpenAI model. So if you put your business content, any work content in there, that goes into the OpenAI model and it's no longer private to your team, to your company, right? So one of the first things we did, you know what we did, Kieran? We built HubSpot GPT, which was just a clone of ChatGPT built on the OpenAI API, but because it was built on our business API access, that we retain the rights to everything that people use and put into HubSpot GPT. And so that is just a very simple win, right? Where you're like, okay, I can now... Wait, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, yeah. First of all, not to put HubSpot on the spot, but I thought OpenAI were coming out with an enterprise product, which was a private version of their ChatGPT Pro. So like exactly what you said, which is like, I think they are, but they haven't yet. And so we wanted to do it in the short term. So you're allowed to do that. I didn't know you were allowed to do that. Okay, that's pretty cool then. Yeah, we just put a web wrapper around the API so that people could use it like ChatGPT, but none of the information would go into the training model. Ah, okay. That is super insightful. It's sick, right? Yeah. And so this is my justification of the tops down, right? It's like, oh, wow, different people are going to have different use cases, but I can give them some technology. So... HubSpot GPT, MidJourney, the Canva AI tools. Like I can go to anybody and say, hey, we as a team are going to focus on these handful of use cases, but you as a marketer can use any of these tools in your day-to-day job and AIFI your job in a way that makes the most sense for you, right? So it's a little bit of a tops down to enable bottoms up, right? Yeah. Is actually kind of the model we're working. And so we built HubSpot GPT and then we rolled it out to our internal team of marketers. And now we've got people cranking on that and our all of our information is secure. We have much better insight into what's happening there. Yeah, there's a chart for this. Actually, I'm just uh, drawing it in my head. In terms oh, I of, love this. I'm, I'm actually going to just take a note because I'm going to draw it and put a LinkedIn. Because <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm thinking about this, really, when you think about it in terms of bottoms up, tops down for this, there's like three categories of things that you need. There's the data, the tooling and the infrastructure mm-hmm. and the tactics. Yes. And you're saying that, hey, like the data, like how you can access the data and feed that data into the model has to be top down because you have to have one agreed way of doing that. The tool and infrastructure has to be top down because you have to agree Mm -hmm. on the tool and infrastructure that you want all of your team members to use. Although I do think in a bottoms up SaaS world, in a company size of HubSpot anyway, you're probably going to end up with, depending on the price of the product, I assume that you might have like different teams using different products for lightweight things. And then you have the tactics and the tactics. I think can be a blend of both. Because what I heard from you when we were off camera, you were like, what I really did was I got someone to own the AI and then go to the team and get use cases. So we discovered them from the bottoms up because we got them from the teams. And then we prioritized them for top down because we're not going to do 100, we're going to do three. The other thing that I think matters with a tops down approach is that you can get aligned on principles, right? Mm. And I think there's one principle that we got aligned on, Karen, that you and I haven't talked about on the show that I think you're really going to like. You ready? Okay. The principles here is basically like, if you need an exact answer, you need data science. If you need a possibly exact answer or a close or approximate answer, then you can use AI in a large language model. That there are some problems that AI can solve and there's some problems data science can solve. 
and being really clear on when you need data science versus large language models and artificial intelligence is actually very important. Because if you go and solve a problem that needs like a perfect answer, so an example like that would be some very specific like lead routing for a sales rep that you like, you have to get right across your sales reps and they have to be right every single time in perpetuity. Like you need data science and workflow automation to do that. And large language model is not going to be the best way to do that. So a close answer would be something like support, like would it be support or something? What would you, what would you say close answer? Yeah. A close answer would be like a support request, right? So it's like, Hey, I need help with this feature. Okay. It's like, great. Here's the help. Oh, that wasn't good enough. I really had that. Because in a support interaction, you can have a couple of feedback loops and iterate to the answer they want, just like you would in chat GPT, for example. But if you are talking about like recommending a customer the perfect next best product for them, that's more of a data science problem because you're like, oh, I need to crunch all of this data to perfectly recommend the next best product to this customer. Okay. I'm going to do another potential graphic here in my head. Oh, I got Kieran's head spinning. The wheels are turning, baby. Well, because I think there's an axis you need to put on this for this to make sense. Because if you have like, let's say we have like one axis, which is like exact answer, the opposite ends of the spectrum, exact answer, yeah. and then close answer. Like they're not really opposite ends of the spectrum because it would be exact answer and false <laughs> answer. But like for yeah. the purposes of this, if I had a, just like, you could have either of those things. What do you want across all these things? I would choose exact answer each and every time, right? Because why, if I could just choose exact or close, why would I ever choose close? I think the th- reason, and this is what I'm, I'm interested in asking you on, is like yeah. the reason I would choose close is because if I add price of those things, high to low, it costs me a, l- a lot less money to give you close answers. Correct. Than it costs me to give you high Nailed answers. It. And so like, yeah, so it's scale in price model from like exact to close. Part of what large language models do for your marketing strategy is there's a weird thing in every business, right? And the weird thing in every business is that your smaller customers who pay you less are more price sensitive and need more help and support than your bigger customers who pay you more. Right. And it drives businesses crazy. They're like, wow, the customer that pays me $200 will complain more about a 10% price increase than the customer that pays me $20,000, right? right? And part of what AI large language models enable you to do, they enable you to serve that $200 customer in a way similar to the way you would serve that $20,000 customer, which is exceptionally powerful. Because right now, what happens, a lot of businesses kind of ignore that $200 customer. They go focus on the enterprise customer. And then startups and competitors come in from underneath them and disrupt them. And so I think large language models are going to help companies have more protective go-to-market strategies and be able to protect the lower ends of the markets they serve in a much better way. We'll be right back but let me tell you about a podcast from our network. Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, your audio destination for business professionals. Join husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Their audience loves the show's unique blend of theory and practice, which helps business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. If you enjoy learning what makes people tick, then this is the show for you. Recently, they did an amazing episode on what makes your team say yes, exploring the psychology of influence. Phil Agnew shares his rich experience in behavioral science and delves into the intricate psychology of influence. They explore the fine line between influence and manipulation, uncovering how subtle cues and messaging impact team decision-making and motivation. 
Whether you're a leader, marketer, or anyone interested in the art of intelligence, this episode is packed with strategies and psychological principles to understand and harness the power of yes in teams and organizations. Listen to Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. You got me thinking, if you actually think about answers for businesses, like across our entire go-to-market, like how we actually answer things across chat, email, all these different things, support all the way through to when you're a customer. And you have three types of responses, which is like exact, close, and I think generic. Mm -hmm. And so actually, when you think about business today, most of what we try to do is like generic or close or and a little bit of exact because exact is so expensive. But a lot of it is generic because we try to do these one to many kind of experiences, right? Like yeah. we just try to grab a little bit of data about your company size, a little bit of data about your role. And then we try to make some guesses on the back end and say, this is probably what you want. And that's true. Any marketer, here's your answer. Any sales, here's your answer. And actually what AI is doing is moving more of, if you actually think of like exact, close and generic, it's moving like it all up a little bit. So like all your generic is actually going to become close. And you're going to have more money to give exact. So actually everything becomes much more accurate because of AI. I mean, a, a lot of our top AI use cases are around just that. Taking things that were very generic and making them much better right. to increase conversion rate. But before we talk about specific use cases, I want to talk about like how we got there. Kieran, I think one of the beliefs you and I have is that if you're going to transform any team on anything, you need somebody to lead that effort. You need a directly responsible individual. So we made somebody on our team the directly responsible individual for AI. And one of his jobs was to go out. You made one person. Can I just call this out? Yes. For me as well and for everyone. Individual. One person. You actually Not have plural. to have it one person. It has to be one person. Yeah. Like everyone who is like, oh, I should own this as well. Unless you can own that in totality, don't try to own things. If you're a co-owner, it's a nightmare. Kieran, because you and I have seen this. When you have hot, trendy stuff, everybody wants a piece of it. Right. And so you have a lot of people who try to own those things and it becomes a total cluster. Total mess. Right. And so to basically prevent that mess, you have to say, here is one person who owns this. And we have to give that person a clear charter. And one of the things on that charter that we gave them was, hey, I want you to go out across the leaders on our team and I want you to collect potential use cases. This person's job is essentially, what does the AI technology stack look like for us? And what can we buy? What do we need to build? And then what are the use cases that we want to apply through that technology? And so they went out, they got use cases, they got well over 100 use cases, right? So a bunch of different use cases. And one of the things that I have heard Kieran, it helps that we do these things that we call field trips and we learn from different experts. And we recently did an AI field trip. And one of the pieces of advice that came from that field trip that I thought was really good was essentially the time to go live on AI is everything. Because of the feedback loop, because of the fast iteration of the technology, your whole job is to ship something and start getting feedback on it more ship. so than anything else. Yeah. And so one of the ways we sorted those use cases, we kind of, if we're thinking about a two by two for like how you prioritize your AI use cases, it's like, how much business impact do we think they're going to have and how quickly can we get them done? Right. And anything that you think is going to have medium to high business impact and you think you can get done, you know, medium to fast, those should be the top of your list in terms of things that you're going to prioritize to do on your team, right? Yeah, that's exactly what we've been doing. Our product team has been really great at just shipping stuff and seeing, because uh, you just have no idea how users are going to react to these things, right? Because it's no. so new. And so I think the way you can out-compete everyone else is to learn faster than everyone else. 
Uh, yes. And there's one other thing that before I talk about some of the specific use cases I went into is I think the companies that are going to be the most successful adopting AI in their marketing and in their product strategies, I think they're going to have one thing in common, Karen. And that one thing is that the end user is not going to know they're using AI. Right. You know, it's going to seem like a web interface, but the end experience, the end product is going to feel 10 times as magical as it does from other businesses because it's using the power of these models to make that output way less generic, way more specific, way more valuable to that user, right? And that's a big, big opportunity we have here. Okay, so you want to talk actual use cases, like stuff we're actually working on? Yeah. Well, I think people are going to want to hear that. Yeah. Can I just say one quick thing to run at the top down, bottoms up? I just want to make sure people realize that you are doing a top-down strategy to make sure that you prioritize the couple of places that have outweighted impact. I think there is a bottoms-up component to this that is really important in the tactics, which every team should be thinking through, how can I integrate AI into my work in a way that actually is impactful or a way that I can play around and see if I can be much more efficient. And so if you are the person like is sitting in the company and you're like, oh, my company has like three things they're doing and I'm not really that involved in it, but like, that's cool. I don't have to really worry about this. That's really not what this means. I still think that you would even say there's a bottoms up component where if you're on the team today, like you should really be understanding how that technology impacts your role. But you know what I'm going to do, Karen? I'm going to meet with every team on our team once a month. And we're going to have a, how are you transforming with AI meeting? Nice. And it's like, how are you using AI for your team? What are your blockers in using it? Do you have some technology that isn't approved to use yet because it has a legal hurdle or whatever it may be. And like, how can we fix that and get that done for you, right? And so what I'm really doing is a blend of tops down, bottoms up. Right. Right. I'm doing a bottoms up model that's managed in a more of a top down way to kind of drive faster transformation. So I think the perfect answer to this question is that there's some blend of tops down and bottoms up that's going to work for every team. And I think the simplest way to think about this, Karen, put this hat on for a second. I think tops down is going to be the better process for taking things that you already do and making AI versions of them. I think bottoms up is going to be a better process for net new opportunities that AI brings you that you don't yet know you should be doing that I think a frontline marketer who's just like in the weeds of experimenting is going to be better at figuring those out. Do you agree or disagree? I think it should be the best breakthroughs come from individuals yes, I who really understand the capabilities, like understand their role inside out and understand how AI is transformational or additive. So I do think a lot of it should come from bottoms up, a lot of the new things. But I also just think that people should be thinking through like how the thing that I do today can be much better through the tools that I now have access to. As someone who leads a team, I want to be sick of telling people, no, you can't have access to this tool or no, I just can't get you access to that tool or like we just need to slow down a little bit. That's the conversation I want to be having. Yes. I don't want to be having the conversation is like, what are you doing? Why are you not doing anything? You, you want the team to be playing offense and the leader to be playing defense, not the other way around. Right. Defense. I think when the leader's playing offense, I get kind of nervous that there's just something. Yeah. Why don't we understand how important this is? That framing is perfect. And I, I totally agree with you. Okay. So we promised some very specific use cases that we were doing with AI. Let me tell you about a few. The first one, Kieran, that goes right back to your point about being like, generic to more specific from just a few minutes ago. One of the biggest opportunities for us and for most companies I talk to, Kieran, is what we would call first conversion nurturing. So when somebody first comes in to use your product or download a piece of your content and they just first convert and you have the opportunity to have some type of email, text, WhatsApp engagement for them, the content and timing of which you engage them is very hard because up to this point, You've know very little about them. It's been very generic. 
And those folks monetize at a much lower rate than in theory they should because of that. And so one of the things we're doing is we are using large language models to basically more personalize, create the copy for that email versus the generic copy. And then doing that off of data we know about the company and that user behavior to make it hyper-relevant to them to see if we can transform the conversion rate. And in our case, it's going to be email mostly of those emails. So that's like one of the top things that we're working on. Same. I've been looking at this across the entire funnel, not just from first prospect. Like we have a PLG motion, but we have product-led sales and then we have like more, you know, targeted sales. And so with product-led businesses, you have velocity sales where you kind of just want to reach out to hand raisers and do a couple of emails and calls and close them at a high rate. And those emails, I think, you know, there's potential we can make those emails much, much better because of the data. Yeah. The thing I'm most nervous about is like, we talked about it in a previous show, which is the acceleration of diminishing returns from tactics Yes. and how quickly that's going to happen in an AI world and how long you can actually be in the first. Leave it to you to be a pessimist. Leave it to you to be like, you know what? I think this is going to work, but man, it's not going to work for very long. It's basically what you're saying. Like, so what was that time? Like, look across history. Like, what was that timeline for like email, right? Like, I think Gary Vaynerchuk talked about his first email newsletter. His click-through rates were like 50%. And it was like a huge email list because email was such a novel thing. And then over time that diminished. I actually think we should go try to look, but I wonder what the curve looks like for like AI tactics versus like historical marketing tactics and if it's accelerated? Well, look, this is what I would tell everybody watching. There are people out there who still don't do email marketing 45 years later, you know? Right. So let's say the adoption of AI is an order of magnitude 10 times faster than something like email. It's still worth doing because if you don't do it, you still have to do it. Well, I'm saying you still have a couple years of benefit. You have to do it. It's not like days or weeks of benefit. You have years of benefit. You might not have five, 10 years like you maybe would have had before, but you'll have 18 to 36 months of benefit. And that is enough to catapult your business to the next phase of growth that you're trying to achieve. And I think that's really awesome. Right. Some other speed round use case stuff, because I want to make sure we get some use case out there. We're doing a one field use case, Kieran. So if you have any form conversions, you only collect the email address. And then based on that email address, the AI goes and looks up all the other information and appends it back to the record. So you need to ask for less information at point of conversion. Okay. So the AI is actually getting a real company size. Yeah, all, all, the, all, all, the, all that kind but of stuff. It, it's doing that from data sources we're using. Exactly. Yep. Another thing that we're, we're spending time on, which I think is the number one most obvious, is the website chat. Chat automation for folks who are coming to your website. Yeah. I think that is by far the number one most obvious AI use case. Folks who chat on your website are your highest converting leads visitors. And if you can basically engage with them in a much faster, a much higher quality way, your down cycle conversion rates on everything are going to go through the roof. Right. And then there's obviously a bunch of like free tools, value add products, things that we're going to do to acquire new users that I feel like I don't want to give specific yet because I don't want to tip off people as to give other people a head start on those things. But I think that there is a massive amount of opportunity, as you talked about earlier in this pod, on those things. Yeah, I think we see the same thing, which is like email, the data enrichment. I think chat is a question mark around because I have a question around, do you need an exact or a close answer and chat. Mm-hmm. I think that is something... We're going to find out. Yeah, we're going to find out. There's some like things that are unique to, a little bit more unique to Zapier, which is one of our biggest unlocks with AI will be, again, it's a horizontal product. So there's so much you can do with it that we have to match you to something that mm-hmm. fits you. Like, what is the workflow you want to do? What's the automation? Yeah, like yeah. there's an infinite amount of things you can automate. And I think AI is actually really good for this because 
at the moment, we're stuck at a little bit given like generic kind of answers because of the data we can get. Whereas if we can just get to close, like if we can get to close in terms of what you want to automate, that's hugely positive in terms of like how we get people pulled through the funnel. And the other one that's like really interesting for us is we have a big integration marketplace. And it's just like this collection of different ways that you can use integrations, like just an infinite amount of ways that you could use these different integrations together. And it's really hard to like figure out all those different types of workflows Mm -hmm. and then build these pages for them if you're building like a marketplace. Whereas AI can actually go and start to figure out like, here's all of the different ways that these tools can be used and I can just go build pages for you. And so I think there's like interesting things around how you scale marketplaces or if you're an e-com store, if you are just like a big website, but you have to actually, one of the things I'll just caveat that with is, you have to have some sort of script running that says, hey, this content isn't getting any traffic at all. So I'll actually start to de-index it so you keep your site really nice and clean for Google. And the other one that I'm somewhat obsessed by, but have not figured out what it is right now, is that you can have your own concierge mm-hmm. and onboarding guy just for you, giving you this thing just for you. So it feels like you actually have someone at your side, yeah. answering your question, providing at all times. Hyper-customization through yeah. your customer experience. And I don't think we know what that looks like yet, but I'm totally with you. We talk a lot about co-piloting from like sales reps and customer success reps. It's co-piloting. It's a customer co-pilot. Customer co-pilot. What you're talking about is a customer co-pilot. It's your, everyone gets a chief customer officer. Yeah, it's a, it's a virtual chief customer officer where they're basically triaging, providing, collecting that feedback loop and making the web experience and product experience way better for customers. That would be a good future show. You know how I know this is a good show, Kieran? We're about like almost out of time, man. I will just give a quick shout out that one of my, I just realized that Workbounce, one of my businesses pivoted to be a chief knowledge officer. They are already AI assistant for knowledge workers. <laughs> oh, Kieran pumping his bag. You can't get off the show until the bag I actually just pumped. remember that they are building that. So actually I need to go check them out. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Okay, so I hope that you all enjoyed the show. I think we gave you some extra good behind the scenes knowledge perspective of how we are trying to do these things right now please subscribe you drop a comment tell Kieran what you think of the clean shaven look let us know what questions you have or ideas for future episodes love to see those in the youtube comments and we'll be back with you very soon on marketing against the Green. <laughs>